Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 8 and go through verse 17 as we continue our study through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. But I am not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given us to be in your house today. Many, Lord, have experienced sickness, so we thank you for health that enables us to be here. Lord, we, we are needy people, and we ask that you might minister to us from your word today. And if there be one here that's not saved, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the gospel, and we're glad to be able to preach it today. We ask enablement, Lord, to uh, bring the message and also, Lord, that you would just have your will in each of us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe everyone would agree that the world is in a mess today. Sin has caused so many problems in people's lives, in family units, in city government, county government, state government, federal government, and in every nation around the world. It will take Jesus to straighten out the mess that this world's in. And someday he will do it. When he comes to this earth to establish his kingdom to rule and reign in righteousness, he will destroy all of his enemies when that happens. And so that the kingdom, when it starts out, will be inhabited only by saved people. I mean, there's never been anything like that. (laughs) But the Lord will begin his kingdom on this earth And every unsaved person has been taken out of the way during the tribulation period at the final battle of Armageddon. And the Lord will start off his kingdom with all saved individuals. He will lift the curse. He'll rule with a rod of iron. There will be no rebellion allowed whatsoever in the world because he is king and he is God. And also, everybody has to worship him. There'll be no freedom of religion during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. There'll be no wars and there'll be no deserts. It will be a glorious time. Sometime in the future, after probably I study, we study through the book of Romans, I'm going to present a message on the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But now we live in a messed up world. And we need to be reminded that we who know Jesus as Savior have the power to do something about it. That's right. It's a messed up world, but we have the power to do something about it. You see, the scripture tells us that all power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. Psalm 62, verse 11. He gives strength and power to his people. Psalm 68, verse 35. Jesus said all power was given unto him in heaven and earth, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And he went on to say, since that's true, then you go teach all nations. And so all power is given unto the Lord, and the Lord gives us his power. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, when the Holy Spirit came, and it came at, he came at Pentecost, and when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But it says, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So we have the power of God to witness for him. We are commanded by the Lord to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And God hath not given us the spirit of fear, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And then the scripture says in Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, which makes it true, as Romans 8.37 says, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But the sad thing is, we as Christians, even though we have all that power and all those promises, we sometimes act like we're powerless. Therefore, in a messed up world, we are not powerless. We as Christians should not be intimidated. We should not be ashamed, but we should be confident. God lives in us, and we have the gospel, which is the power of God. We have the gospel, which is the power of God. But none of this should make us proud. We should not be proud because God lives inside of us, and we have his power, We should not be proud because we have a message that is the actual power of God. We should actually be humble because God gives us his Holy Spirit. We don't deserve him. God gives us the gospel. We surely didn't deserve that. And God's the one who puts power, the power of God, in the gospel. And so uh, the gospel is the power of God. And we should not be proud, though, because it all came from the Lord. In fact, the Bible reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians. He says that we have this this treasure, and you look at the context, and the word word treasure there is referring to the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God put this wonderful power of the gospel in earthen vessels so that we undeserving people, just earthen vessels, had the privilege of carrying around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the power of God, and God should get all the glory. From what Paul wrote to the book of to Romans, you can easily see that he was a man with a heart of love and compassion for his people. Even though he was an apostle, he was not proud. Even though he was an apostle, he didn't look down on people. Everybody was valuable to him. He had an eagerness to preach the gospel to those in Rome as he had done in other places. He was not ashamed of the gospel that he preached. I was not, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So this morning, let's examine 
the verses we've just read and and observe some things about Paul and the gospel which he preached. As we look through these verses, I'm going to outline it, and you'll see the outline as I give it. First of all is this, the people on Paul's heart. The people on Paul's heart. Who were the people on Paul's heart? Well, it's evident it was the Romans. It was the Roman Christians who were there in Rome, but also those who had not trusted the Lord yet. He wanted to lead them to the Lord. So the people on his heart were the Romans. He thanked God for those people. Look at verse 8. He says, For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He thanked God for their person. He said, For you all. Everybody he was thankful to the Lord for. Sometimes in years past, I've gone to pastor's fellowships and been a little bit disturbed as I talked with pastors because some of them only complained about their people. Now, that's not that often, but I've heard it where it was just complaining, complaining about their people. I know our churches are made up of people with different strengths and different weaknesses and everything, but a pastor should love his people regardless who they are. And Paul was like that. And he thanked God for them all. He he thanked God, I believe, for the rich and also for the poor, for the learned and the unlearned, for those who were strong and those who were weak. He thanked the Lord. So he thanked them for the, the persons. I thank God for you all, he said. And then he thanked the Lord for their profession. He said, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That term throughout the whole world, most believe that it means throughout the Roman, Roman Empire. And so he said, your faith is spread throughout the Roman Empire and uh, everybody's talking about the Christians at Rome. You see, as I said last week, Peter had not been there, I don't believe. And Paul had not been there. But Christians, just everyday Christians, had taken the gospel to Rome and people had been saved and, and there was a church established there. And, and, and Paul was so excited about that. He said, everywhere I go, people are talking about the Roman Christians. And so he thanked the Lord for their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So he thanked the Lord for them. And then he prayed for them. Look at verse 9. He says, but God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. I pray for you, he said. I pray for you sincerely. He says, God is my witness. You know, that's always true. (laughs) Regardless what you're doing, God is your witness (laughs) because God knows what you're doing. But Paul, he loved the Lord. He served the Lord. There was nothing fake about him. And he says, God is my witness. He says, I pray for you. And he he said, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit. I'm serving the Lord. In Paul's life, there was no such thing as a secular part of his life. Every part of his life was holy, you might say. It was dedicated to the Lord. And so we as Christians should be that way as well. We should live the same way on Monday that we live on Sunday. We should not be uh, compartmentalized Christians so that this is a this is a sacred part and this is a secular part. No, our whole life should be sacred. And Paul lived for the Lord. And so when he says, I pray for you, it was sincerely, he says, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit. And then he prayed, prayed regularly. He said, without ceasing, always. Look at verse uh, 9 as well. He says, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And he says, without ceasing, I make mention of you always. 
without ceasing always. Now, without ceasing, that means they were always on his mind. He was thinking of the Roman Christians all the time. You see, he had a desire, and chapter 15 tells us that that desire had gone on for several years, that he had a desire to go to Rome. And he heard things about Rome. And so he was thinking about those people, and he says, I pray for you without ceasing. And then he was specific in his prayers, and he says, I make mention of you. Now, that we're told in chapter 16, I think, we're illustrated what he means by that. And that is in chapter 16, as I shared last week, there are 26 names mentioned. Paul names off people in Rome, and he greets them. And so Paul, when he says, I make mention of you, I believe he, he made mention of them. This morning I woke up at 6. I didn't get to bed until about midnight, and I set my alarm at 7, and I woke up at 6, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And so I was laying there uh, praying for our, our children and grandchildren. Now, we have six children. Each of them are married, and we have 22 grandkids. <laughs> you know, that's enough to go back to sleep on when you go through all those <laughs> But I didn't go back to sleep. The alarm went off at 7. I got up. But uh, I was specific. I was praying for those. I prayed for our, our uh, uh, grandson that we've never met in Washington and his wife and their little baby, which is our gra- great-grandchild. And I was praying for the, the baby. You see, God wants us to be specific about our prayers. And so mention it to the Lord. One time I heard somebody say, well, you know, I don't want to bother the Lord with the little things about my life. God's big enough, you can bother him with all the little things. He says, cast your care on me because I care for you. God wants us to pray about everything. So he says to these people, uh, constantly I'm praying for you. Specifically, I'm praying for you. I pray for your needs. We We need to be like Paul in our prayer life. And so he had a people on his heart. And then he had a plan in his head a plan in his head. Now, what was that plan? Very simple. I want to come to you. I want to come unto you. My plan is I want to get to Rome. Paul was doing a lot of things, but he says, I have a plan. I want to get to Rome. So he has this plan in his head. He prayed to come to them. Verse 10, it says, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. That's my plan to come unto you. And he prayed that. He said, Lord, if by any means... Now, have you ever prayed for something and God answered your prayer in an unexpected way? <laughs> you know, you prayed for something and, and God answered your prayer, but boy, it wasn't the way you thought. And it might have come through uh, trial and, and some tribulation. And that's what happened to Paul. Lord, by any means, whatever it takes, I want to get to Rome. He did not know that he was going as a prisoner to Rome. <laughs> But that's what happened. He ended up a prisoner, but he got to Rome. He didn't know the ship was going to be wrecked, and he had to swim on shore. He didn't know all that, but he said, Lord, I want to pray. And then he said, I might have a prosperous journey. Well, it was a journey with a lot of hardship, but it did, did turn out to be prosperous because he got there. And so God answered that prayer. Uh, through our life with our kids, you know, after they've grown up and, and they've left to go live different places, we have them in... Louisiana, Florida, Virginia, Ohio, and uh, grandkids in, in other states as well. But uh, they're scattered all over. And when they come to the house and they get ready to leave and go, and go on the trip, I always say, let's pray. 
Uh, our kids would be disappointed, I think, if Dad didn't get them together and pray because we always do that. And you know, through all these years, trip after trip after trip, we have never had an accident. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be one tomorrow. I'm not saying God has to do that. God knows what he's doing. But if he does allow an accident, God, it's still in, in God's plan. God will take care. All things will work together for good. But God answers prayer, and Paul prayed for a prosperous journey. And I believe one of the reasons that all the traveling our kids and we have done, that we have been protected because we prayed and asked the Lord for it. You know, the Lord says, if you you have not because you ask not. So make it a practice to ask about things like this. And then he says, by the will of God. By the will of God. You know, don't ever be hesitant to say that. Years ago, I had somebody tell me, you shouldn't pray that. You know, and they actually made light of the fact that somebody would pray for the healing of somebody and then add to it, if if it be your will. They said, that's a lack of faith when you say, if it be your will. No, my friend, it's not. God knows better than you do. And it's not a lack of faith if you add, if it be your will. You see, God's not uh, uh, somebody that you can just command them what, he wa- what you want him to do. And he does it because you prayed about it and you believed it. That's not God. God is God. And God can do what he wants to. And what you ask, what you think might really be the thing that, that would work and that you need and you think it's the right thing, And yet you say, if it be your will, that's okay because God knows more than you do. And his will is better than our will. And so don't ever be ashamed to add to your prayer, if it be your will. And that's what Paul did. He said, if it be his will. And so he wanted God's will. And then verse 11 says he he not only prayed for for this, for them to see them, but he longed to see them. I mean, he had a deep desire. He longed to see them. It shows that this great apostle had a tender heart, and he longed to see people, and he loved people. And then he purposed to come to them. He had verses 11 through 13. It says he purposed. uh, Verse 13 says he had tried before to come. And as I said, chapter 15 tells us that uh, he was much hindered from coming to you, and he said, I desired it for years to come to you. And so he was hindered. Uh, the, the word let there in your Bible uh, was let hitherto means hindered. It's the old English word that means hindered. So he was hindered in coming to them. And so he wanted to come, he planned to come, he desired to come, he tried to come before, but God stopped him. You know, sometimes God does that to us. We have a desire that we want. We really believe it's the Lord's will, and God stops us. But let me remind you, as was true of Paul, delay does not mean denial. When God delays and God says, no, not now, you don't know if he's, well, he, you know, God doesn't say not now, but it, it seems like God is saying that. Uh, it might be God saying later. We don't know, but God knows, and his will is perfect, and so he said, I desired to come, and, uh, but I was let hitherto, I was, I was hindered. Things came up that I, I wasn't able to go. And God put those things in my way because the right time would come when Paul would go to Rome and he would go as a prisoner. All expenses paid by the government. 
and he went as a prisoner. So he had reasons to come, though. He didn't just want to take a vacation to, to Rome. He had reasons to come, and he spells those out. Verse 11 says, that, I might, that he might establish uh, them by exercising his gifts. Notice how it states it. For I long, after, long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. I believe he's talking about his own spiritual gifts that God is going to use to establish them. And so he wants, he wants to help these young Christians. And so that's one of his desires, his plans to go. Also that he might be comforted together with them. Look at verse 12. That is, explaining what he just said, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. You know, Paul, the apostle, didn't consider that his faith was so much superior to theirs. He believed and he realized that his faith was the same as theirs. You see, he had faith in the same Lord as they did. He wasn't a, a high class of religious guy, you know, or anything like that. He wasn't above everybody. He was like everybody. You know, Hebrews tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That means encouraging one another. And Paul was saying, I just long to see you that I may help you, but I know as I help you that you're going to help me. And you're going to comfort me as I comfort you. And so he desired this. Uh, for, he had a reason to go to, to them. And then a third reason he had was verse 13. And he says, that I might have some fruit among you, even also, also even as among other Gentiles. The Romans were Gentiles. He said, I've had fruit among other Gentiles. I'd like to have fruit among you. What that means is, I would like to be able to lead some people to Jesus in Rome. Paul said, I want to go to Rome. That's my plan. That's the plan in my head. And the reason is, I want to help the Christians, and I want to lead somebody to Jesus. That was his plan. Paul lived for that. Paul lived for that because he had something that uh, people in the world who don't know Jesus don't have, and that is he had the power of God to help them, and that was the gospel. But Paul had a problem. He had people on his heart. He had a plan in his head, but he had a problem on his hands, and that problem was he was a debtor. Notice what it says in verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I am debtor. He says, I am a debtor to the Greeks. That means, means those who spoke Greek. I am debtor to the barbarians. That meant in those days those who didn't speak Greek. You can see the pride there of the Greeks. <laughs> and then he said... To the wise, that's the educated, and to the unwise, the uneducated. So this very well-educated man, Paul, you know, who studied the feet of Gamaliel and uh, was a Pharisee before he trusted Jesus, he, was, he had a lot of uh, knowledge, he had a lot of wisdom. And if he was living today, he'd probably have some PhD degrees behind his name. Uh, he was a learned man. But he said, I am debtor to everybody, the Greeks, the barbarians, the wise, the educated, and the unwise, the uneducated. I'm a debtor. And what was he a debtor with? Well, he was indebted to them to preach the gospel unto them. 
You see, he didn't have a debt to Jesus. He didn't have a debt to God, and neither do you. We don't have a debt to God. God paid our debt, and he paid for all of our sin on the cross of Calvary. We don't owe God a debt, but he was debtor to other people, and that is he had the power of the gospel in his hand. I started the message by saying this world is in a mess, and we are. The world is in a mess, but also said we have the power to do something about it. And that is, we have the word of God, the gospel of God in our hands. We have that, and we can share it with other people. And so he had a debt, and that debt, that debt was to tell them about Jesus Christ. He must tell them about Jesus. That's his debt. He said, I owe that debt. It would help us, and it convicts us when we realize that, that we have a debt to people. Our neighbor a friend, a co-worker, maybe even a stranger. And uh, we have come in contact with them, and we have what they need. I was with someone the other day. In fact, it was my son down in Louisiana. We went to a restaurant. We got ready to pray, and he said to the waitress, he said, is there something we can pray? We're getting ready to pray and thank the Lord for our food. Is there something we can pray for you about? (laughs) I like that. Because, uh, you know, that means that we, we have an answer. And uh, we can help people. But the greatest way we can help people is we can share, them the, share the gospel with them because the gospel is the power of God. And we must do that because we're commanded to. Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, because Jesus is all power is mine in heaven and earth. Go therefore and teach all nations. In Mark 16, verse 15, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the, of the world, of the earth. And so we are commanded to take that gospel. We are debtors. But then I want to say this. Paul had people on his heart. He had a plan in his head. And he had a, a, uh, a problem on his hands, and that was he was a debtor. But then he had the power of the gospel. The message, Paul's message was the gospel, and he had the power of that gospel. The gospel of God, verse 1 is referred to, and verse 16 it's called the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 describes the gospel. I described it last week. The gospel is this. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's alive. All of our sins are paid for. And Jesus is alive, and he offers to be your Savior. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 describes it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does God say about that gospel? He says it's the power of God. The gospel, what I just said, is the power of God. It doesn't say that it contains power. It doesn't say that it exerts power. It doesn't say that it is powerful. But it says that it is the power of God. So we as Christians have in our hands, you might say, or in our hearts, or in our mouth, we have the power of God. Now, somebody might say, but those are just words. 
That's exactly right. They're words. Words with power. Words that have the power of God, and that's the gospel. You see, it can take an unsaved person whose life is ruined and wrecked and transform them by the power of God because the, the gospel is the power of God. When you're witnessing to someone, you might tell them all kinds of things and tell them how good God is and what God's done for you and all that, but make sure that you don't leave out the power. And that power is, friend, I want you to know that Jesus died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave as proof that it was all paid for, all your sins paid for, and if you will believe that gospel, you can be saved. And we must share that gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. You remember the Lord told, or it was told to Peter in Acts chapter 11, uh, to Cornelius, he, uh, he was going to speak to Cornelius, says, Peter shall tell thee words whereby thy, thou and thy house shall be saved. We're told to Cornelius, Peter's coming, and he will tell you words whereby you and your house will be saved. You see, the people you know with messed up lives, the world with messed up lives, it's, there's, a, there's a solution to that mess, and that is the gospel. It's the power of God. And Peter will tell you words whereby you can be saved. So what does God ask us to do? Tell the words. Tell the gospel. It's the power of God. All you need to do is tell it. The word power there is the word dunamis. From that word we get dynamite, and from that word we get dynamo. And both ideas are there. Dynamite is destructive power. Dynamo is constructive power. And that's what the gospel does. It blows people's lives up. <laughs> and then it changes them. And God can take a messed up life and destroy all the bad and forgive all the sin and wipe away the sin and make them clean again and then start constructing them into the child of God he wants them to be. The power is, in, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. Then he says, unto salvation. There's no way to be saved apart from the gospel. You can't be saved any other way. And you must believe that gospel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10 Verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You must believe. John 1.11, he came unto his own, his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Philippian jailer, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Words, the gospel is the power of God, and people, all people have to do is believe it. 
You don't have to join a church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to turn over a new leaf. You don't have to uh, do so many uh, religious works. Uh, you don't do that. All you do is believe, and the believing the gospel has a transforming power because it is the power of God to change lives. The gospel is the power of God. Then it says this, verse 17. It says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God. You see, when you believe the gospel, you have the righteousness of God applied to your account. We are not righteous. The Bible makes that clear. We're sinners. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't have any good works that we can say, Lord, I'm good enough to get to heaven. That won't work. Nobody's good enough. The Lord says in order for you to get to heaven, you have to be righteous. You have to be holy. In fact, in order to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. Well, how can we get that? I mean, I'm not perfect in and of myself, and you're not perfect. How can we be perfect in God's eyes? God says, I died for all the sins that would keep you from being perfect. I died for them. They're paid for. And I forgive you of those, but more than that, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, he gives you his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees not us with our sin. He sees us with our sin forgiven and the righteousness of God applied to our account. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus and his righteousness, and he says, accepted, accepted in the beloved. He says that we are forgiven, and um, as uh, justification means, declared righteous. God declares us righteous. And so the righteousness is a product of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He took them all away, and he gives us his righteousness if we trust him as our Savior. Because of this, Paul said in verse 16, verse 15, I am ready. I am ready. That meant I have this gospel, and I have those people out there that need it. I am ready. And then in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed. I am ready, and I'm not ashamed. That's the way we should be. Ready to share the gospel, and not ashamed to share the gospel. I mean, why should we be ashamed? We have the power of God to save and change individuals in this messed up world. Why should we be ashamed of the gospel? Yes, we live in a messed up world today. And someday Jesus will come and correct this world when he sets up his kingdom and he destroys all those who don't believe in him and he rules in righteousness with a rod of iron. Someday that will happen. But until that happens, the Lord has given us the power of God in the gospel and we are to share it with other people so that they can experience salvation. And in this messed up world, God will take individuals one at a time and unmess their world, you might say, unmess their life and change it and transform them and give them his righteousness. And we have the privilege of being involved in that. And all we have to do is take the gospel, which we know, and share it with other individuals. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight, today for enabling us to see the power of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. 
Lord, if there's somebody here who's not saved, they might think that maybe they're impossible. I remember a man years ago, Lord, who told me that very thing. And he said, I, I can't see how God would save anybody like me. I mean, I, nobody in my family has ever been right. All my family has been messed up. Nobody could save me. But Lord, I remember with joy telling him, yes, Jesus can save you. There's no sinner too hard for God to save. And Lord, I pray that if a person's here whose life is messed up and they don't know how there's a remedy, may they realize the power of God is in the gospel. All they must do is believe it. The gospel actually is the power of God and it can transform their life. I pray that someone would trust Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen.